you guys are seeing a theme. The importance of understanding these things, these things are very principal and they're very basic. And as Christians in a world with so many things around us, we need to know where we stand and how to answer. Amen? Our sister Felicia encountered something outside. She was able to give an answer, but because she understood some things. And so that's the whole purpose, is that we understand what we believe in, why we believe in it, and what we stand on. Any other religion that you come across, they're gonna be able to say something. They have some type of stance. They can dictate to you what they believe in and why. And their conviction is so strong. Atheists are strong in what they believe in and they have things that they could say to you because they researched it and discussed it. How much more us who are on the opposite end who really believe who God is and some of us have experienced his goodness and his favor, and we have a testimony of that, right? So today's session is gonna be, who is God? Who is God? Who is it that we really believe in? What is he about? So there's gonna be four things we're gonna go through, okay? We're gonna go through um, his character, his nature, his work, and then lastly, a relationship with him. And that's gonna be the most important part. So who is God? Um, when I thought about this, I said, wow. I said, you could, you could really get deep with this question, right? Who is God? It's both a philosophical question and it is also a theological question. Um, when, we were, when we were going through, when you go through a hard time, and, and obviously the pandemic is something that we can refer to because it's very fresh, okay? We can begin to, we start to search for God automatically. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because, and we're gonna get more into that later, we're created automatically with that in our inner being. To want to know who God is because we are made in his image. And we're gonna get deeper into that. Um, so today, we're, I'm just going to, this is a heavy topic, so I'm going to do the best that I can and just cover some really basic things. And then we're going to have some time afterward. As God gives you something or a question or you're not sure, you want clarification. Like Pastor Steve said, please feel free to ask the question because we are here. We've made time out to be together, to be in the presence of God because we want to know more about God. Amen? Okay. John three sixteen to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That's the God that we believe in. But the thing that we have to understand is that there are many different gods on this earth, right? Many gods. As human beings, we can make anything a god. We can make water a god. We can make wanting you know, food and the crops. We can make that a god. 
The, the Indians, the Native Americans, had a god for every single thing because depending on what they needed, they will make a god for that and do sacrifices and things like of this nature, right? Anything that we submit ourselves to, anything that we adore, anything that we worship can become a god for us. And I want us, that's a that very deep question that, um, and thought because we have to really think about that. If we, money can be a god. And the Bible refers to money as mammon. If we put money before God, it becomes, um, before God, like the God that we worship, it becomes a God for us. And we make decisions based on who we believe our God is. Are we following? So the God that we worship, however, like other gods on this earth, they're not limited by time. He's not limited by space. He's not limited by where we worship. He's not limited by a statue, a symbol, or a thing. Our God that we believe in is a spirit being, and we carry him wherever we go. He's everywhere. Wherever we, if you're in your room, you can worship God. If you're in your shower, you can worship God. You do not have to be in a temple or go before a statue to worship or to pray to the God that we believe in. Amen? We're going to jump over. So realize, remember, so Pastor talked about Old Testament and New Testament. So we're going to go back and forth between the old and the new. And the reason that it's important to know where we're at, whether we're in the old and the new, is because what takes us from the Old Testament to the New Testament is when Jesus comes, God himself, into a human being. And that's going to be the critical turning point of a lot of events and how we, um, how we do see things and how we function even, okay? It changes the trajectory and it's part of God's plan of salvation for humanity. So we're gonna go to the New Testament. So this is already after um, Christ died, was crucified, buried, resurrected, okay? This is Acts 17, 22 to 25. This is just my introduction, by the way. This is intro. I want you to understand a few things. Then Paul said, stood, I'm sorry. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, so that's in Athens, that's in Greece. This is a real city. Everybody knows Athens, Greece, right? This is an actual city, and Paul the Apostle is standing there a long time ago. Okay, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I'm passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. It's inscribed on an altar. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples 
made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So even though they um, themselves, that there was a God missing, they wanted to make sure they got all the gods down. See, so we discussed that earlier, right? There's a lot of gods. And in Athens, they had a bunch of different things like statues and objects and things that they worshiped. And they, just in case they missed one, they put an altar that said to the unknown God. So they knew they were missing something, right? They were missing something. They said, what is missing? And they put an altar there to the unknown God. And Paul is starting to, now starting to teach them who is that God? And this God is the God of all gods. He is the king of all kings, and he is the Lord of all lords. Amen? So let's start here. So let's begin with God's character. God's character. What is his character? God is love. God is love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do we know God is love? Let's think about that. How do we know that God is love? How do you know somebody loves you? How do we know anybody loves us, right? We receive love very differently, right? If somebody were to um, give me a hug or spend time with me, I would think that that person loves me. If somebody gave me a gift, especially a very expensive one, right, Zion? Somebody gives you a very, you would say that person loves you, right? Wow, this person gave me what? $500 pair of shoes? Wow, my mama loves me. <laughs> right? This is, but so this is what God does, okay? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is the highest price that anybody could ever give to anyone, okay? Um, to give up your only son that you birth for people that you let, well, humanly speaking, if it was you, if it was you and me, we, would, we don't know everybody on this earth, right? But just to give something like that to somebody you don't know, but that's how profound and how deep God's love is that he would give his only son. I'm going to um, tell you a real-life story. And I found this story quite inspirational um, and quite touching. It's a real, it, happened, it happened in 2010 during the war of Afghanistan. Um, and you know that we sent soldiers out there to protect land, to protect property, to protect people. And um, we had some soldiers, there were some soldiers on a rooftop and there were soldiers, you know, soldiers stationed at different points. And all of a sudden, grenades started being launched. They started attacking the soldiers. 
And one of these grenades fell on the rooftop where this uh, Marine was stationed with his friend. You know, if you could imagine in the, in the movies, right? They usually, usually see bags of sand lined up in a corner like to protect them. So a grenade landed right in, within the sandbags. This one soldier, his name is William, William Kyle Carpenter. He hurled his body on top of the grenade because he didn't want his friend to die. He just jumped right on top of the grenade and the grenade went off. He almost lost his life, but he didn't. God spared him. He, just, he lost all his teeth, he lost an eye, but he lived. And this man is the, he, I think at the time he was only 19. He is the youngest living person with a medal of honor. That's love. That's love. That's love for a friend. The Bible says this. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. That's John 15, 13. This is a great story of heroism, courage, strength, and love. But what if the people that you wanted to save don't love you back or don't even consider you a friend or maybe even worse they're at odds with you and they don't love you this is what God did for us for when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. That means that God is willing to do anything to show you how much he loves you and how much he wants us to be a part of of him, to be, to be in union with him, to communicate with him, to be in relationship with him, to speak to us, to, um, you know, that's why it's so important to spend that time with him, to be in his presence, because he just wants that so much, because he sent his only begotten son to die for us. First John um, 4, 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. Anybody who can promise you that they'll be there with for you no matter what, um, and you, you barely know the person, you have to question them, right? If they tell you something like that. Oh, I lo I'll love you to the moon and back, and you, bar you barely know the person. You're gonna have to question that a little bit, but with God, God's already done it. All we have to do is believe that he's done it for us, and then he accepts us in as his children. This is why we're able to be called his sons and his daughters. So let's talk more about this love and how does it really um, flesh out, because on this earth we have different kinds of love that we can mix it with in our head. When we think of love, 
some of us have different points of view. We have the eros love, which is a lustful one, the one they always like showing in the movies. That's the erotic type of love, then, or the passionate kind. Then there's brotherly love, the love that we have for friends, family, you know, brothers and sisters. That's our brotherly love. But God's love goes deeper than that. I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. And I'm going to read the whole thing because... It really show, shows us what that love really looks like. Because maybe some of us, I know for me, it took me a long time to really understand, um, you know, Christ dying for me, dying for my sins, um, that it, it, it still kind of sounds a little far off. So we have to, we need a better picture of how does that look like? How does that real love look like? Because the love that I see, the love that I see in movies, the things that I um, watch, or uh, sometimes people can fail you. It's kind of hard sometimes to understand fully what that looks like, right? So for First uh, Corinthians thirteen, uh, starting at verse three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. That means that we could do a lot of things, we can accomplish a lot of things, but if we don't have God's love or don't do it with God's love, then we're doing nothing at all. And some of the things that, um, about love, and I'm gonna reiterate them to you here, is that um, real love, so some of the, the things that real love doesn't do, it doesn't envy, it doesn't parade itself, it doesn't show off. It doesn't behave rudely, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity. In other words, when somebody sins. The things that love does is that love does suffer long, love is kind, it rejoices in truth, it believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. And this is who God is. God will do all these things for us. God is patient. God endures all things. He's never envious. He's always looking out for our best for us. This is how God's love looks like. Amen? So that's God's love. You can keep going on and on and on um, with it. 
but that's how it looks like and that's who his character is. So let's go to something a little more interesting. So now his work, his work. God is the one who created everything. God created everything. His work also speaks of who he is. It displays his grandeur, majesty, and might. When we see, let's say what we saw outside the window yesterday, when we see the view of this place, what are some, what are the first things that come to our mind? I see, when I, when I, when I see it, the first thing that comes to me is peace, calm, it's beautiful, it's lovely. All these things speak of who God is. When you see waves rushing, huge and big, you think, wow, that looks kind of scary, it's mighty, it looks powerful. That's God too. So all of nature speaks of who God is. Acts 17, 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. The works of God speak for him and they speak of him. Ecclesiastes eleven five, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. That's Ecclesiastes 11.5. So from that um, verse, we also see that God has also made mankind, humankind. So how many of us have ever questioned how we came on this earth? How do we all get here, right? So let's look at Genesis 126. His works. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make man in our image. We were created in God's image. I'm gonna go a little bit deeper I'm going to jump to Genesis chapter 2. This is the Old Testament. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Then verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Verses 21 to 23. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God has taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, call, she, call, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. This was how we began to be created on this earth. So we also 
Uh, have you ever thought about how you're made, how we're able to reproduce children? Um, the wondrous of how we can think, our body, if one, of, if one of our functions doesn't work well, if our finger is even broken, how difficult it is just to do things. We're just so wondrous and things are so perfectly made that we, it should make us wonder more about who God is. And all these things speak about who he is. So in essence, God is also our father, right? He is also our father because he created us. Psalm 68, five, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. Well, I'm gonna skip down a little bit, so. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He's, try he's trying to say that if you follow him and you be with him, then we will all be his sons and daughters. Amen. So that is um, his creation, mankind, his nature, you know, uh, of creation, what he created, how he made us, why he made us, and he made us for himself. He put us on this earth to take authority over the cattle, over everything that was here. We we're supposed to work the land, amen? This is part of who God is. Now, we t the next thing um, is going to be his nature. And we kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, and it's the Trinity. Okay, the Trinity. What is the Trinity? That is God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God exists in three persons. God is one, but expresses himself in three persons. Each member of the Godhead is co-equal and one in substance, but separate in substance. In other words, if the way I, I understood it when I was trying to understand God and the fact that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was um, like a triangle. So if we put God the Father at the top of the triangle, and then we put Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. They're all God, but they express themselves in three persons. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Even the verse that we said earlier, Genesis 1.26, it says that, then God said, let us make man in our image. Has anybody ever thought of that? Why it says, let us make man in our image if God is one? It's because the son the Father, and the Holy Spirit were there in the beginning. 
when the, when creation was made and um, and they were present there so we can understand that there are there was three persons or one God present amen Um, and here's a reference to the Spirit of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that was in Genesis chapter 1. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So that's the spirit just hovering. And we spoke about the spirit earlier. The spirit is, um, is a being. It's a, he's a comforter. He's a helper in time of need. John 14, 16. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. And that's the function of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is, now Jesus, Jesus is God, the expression of God on the earth. On John six twenty seven, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. That's the Son of God. So we understood the Son of God. We spoke about that earlier. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Father. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. They work together. They agree with each other. They never work separate from one another. You know, Jesus said, if you know me, then you know the Father. Through me, you will not know the Father. They all work together and they all work in unison. You will never find um, any of them doing something that the other is not aware of or doesn't know about. Amen? So I don't know. Does everybody understand the Trinity? The Trinity is a little bit, um, it's sometimes a little bit challenging in our mind to understand and grasp because we think of things differently, right? On this earth, we kind of see things very um, differently. If I, see, if I see three different things, and they're three different things, they can't be one, right? If I see one thing, it's one thing. It's not three different things. But, so God is not three different things. It's just expressing himself in three persons. Amen? Okay. Um, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to close up soon. We're going to close up soon. So the last thing, of course, is going to be the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation. And um, this question actually came up one time when we were talking to somebody um, about Christ. And this is somebody who didn't know Christ. And so um, she asked this question. And I thought it was quite profound. She said, why did the Son of God, Jesus, have to be crucified? Why did the Son of God, Jesus, have to be crucified? 
if we read John 3.16, it's because he loves us, right? But let's take a little bit further than that. John, um, so we're going to go back to the beginning a little bit. And in John 3.15, we all know how, we, how sin came into the world, right? Everybody, well, I don't know if I should say everybody, but most of us understand what happened, right? Uh, there was a tree, Eve grabbed the fruit, she wasn't supposed to eat the fruit, and then sin came into the world. So, um, John 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was after the fact. So now, um, Adam and Eve sinned. Then they felt guilty. They felt ashamed. They hid. Then God had to make clothes for them to clothe their nakedness. And then this is what God said as part of the plan to get them back. So we have to understand that before, so we spoke about the creation, God made us, God made the heavens and the earth and everything, right? We could talk to God free. God was right right there, right next to us, talking with us, speaking with us. We were in his presence 24-7. We could hear his voice very, very clearly. God was very familiar to Adam and Eve. Uh, yeah, to Adam and Eve. He was very close to them, like family. And then when sin came, it caused a separation between his creation and who God is, and, and, and God. It caused what the Bible refers to a veil. Something came down and didn't allow us to come in. And the first things that Adam and Eve felt was shame, condemnation, and guilt. And for the first time, humanity started to play the blame game. Adam automatically said, well, he didn't say it like that, but that's what we would say. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was the woman that you gave me, right? So we start, they started playing the blame game. So God had to put in a plan to fix the problem. He put in a plan to fix the problem. And so, you know, the question comes, couldn't have God have thought of a better plan? But you see, the problem is, and this is something that we have to understand is, when... When they ate of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, they found out what was good and evil. How do you fix now the mind? How do you fix that? How do you fix that consciousness of knowing things that you weren't supposed to realize, knowing that you're naked, knowing that now there is sin? How do you fix that? So he put this into plan. How do you fix shame? How do you fix guilt? How do you fix condemnation? How do you bring people to come to a place where this isn't in between us anymore? First Timothy 
For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's 1 Timothy 2.5. His plan was to bring Jesus Christ onto this earth to have victory over sin and death. He brought Jesus to reunite us back, that his blood would cleanse us. His blood would take away the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. His blood would give us a new life. We could enjoy God's presence again. We could worship him wherever we went without, without thinking twice. We, could, we would be free in him. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This was God's plan from Genesis to now. That's why I said in the beginning, we have to remember what the Old Testament and differentiate from the New Testament. Because now in the New Testament, and this is what we live in now, is the dispensation of God's grace. See, before in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, we had to do, we had, some of us didn't, in Athens, they didn't even know who God was. They said, just in case. But now after we've seen God, people have seen God with their very eyes. Jesus in the flesh walked on this earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will tell you the different miracles that, they, that people experienced. The lame walk, the blind saw, the deaf could hear, all because of one man the words of Jesus. These words are words of life. The Bible, the scripture, they give us life. They give us life to live. They help us to renew, renew our thinking. Things that have held us captive in our minds. This is the purpose of what the word is for. And the word is Jesus. The word is Jesus. When Jesus came on this earth to fulfill that plan that was back in Genesis, in that scripture, 315, it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake. And between your seed and her seed. That's the snakes, the snake and then Eve. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That means that seed, that means Jesus. It's referring to Jesus. When Jesus is born, He's going to conquer you. You might try to bruise him, but he's going to overcome you. And this was the plan of salvation. This is how it occurred. This is who God is. And I know it was a long coming to this point, but this is who God is. This is the God that we worship. We don't worship an unknown God. We don't worship a God that we can't experience. We don't worship a God that we can't hear. We don't worship a God that we can only when we go to church can we hear God. Only when we go to church can we worship God. That's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve is anywhere and everywhere we go. Because when we believe in Jesus Christ, God is in here. And the reason we come together in a fellowship is so that we could share that commonness that belief with one another so that we can strengthen one another in that belief and in that 
victory and share it and learn more about who God is. Amen? Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. There are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I want everybody to say right now that God has a plan for me. God has a plan for me. God has a good plan for each and every single person. And I want us not to forget that because sometimes life can be so burdensome sometimes that we could forget that God has a good plan at the end of the road. He has something good for each and every single one of us. None of us is made without purpose. None of us is made without a plan. None of us is made without God. Because as you can see throughout, from Genesis to, to, to the Old Testament to the New Testament, all of them were present when the earth was, when there was nothing here, when it was just a spherical thing, just hanging in the space, God was there. It's the same God that was there then, it's the same God that was there yesterday, same God today, same God tomorrow. The one constant we will always have is God. John 3, 3 to 6, and I'm going to close with this. He was talking, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a real person. He said, Jesus answered and said to him, because Nicodemus asked the question, he said, how, do, how are you born again? And Jesus answered this, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus said to Jesus, he said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus answered, more so surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. May we all understand what it is to be born again and to have that relationship with God. So in conclusion, the character, the work, the nature, and being in relationship with God is who God is. And is and we can always rely on him. Amen. So let's just pray. Um, and close up the session. If you want to make a decision to live for, live for God, or you just want a deeper relationship with him, or you just want to know him more, I want us to pray. And I want you to make that decision that you want to live for God. Amen. Because God so loved us. God created you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Nothing happens that he does not see and that he does not know. Lord, 
this morning, we just give everything over to you, Lord God. We give you our burdens. We give you our hearts. We give you our mind, our soul, Lord God. And we just ask that we want a deeper relationship with you, Lord. We want to know more about who you are. We want to know about who you are, Lord God. And when we look at ourselves and creation, may you speak to us, O oh Lord, about your greatness. May we grow deeper and deeper in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.